Atheists are made, not born. The Biblical Psychology of Modern Atheism. This is part three. And the title, it's, it might be a little convoluted, but I think you'll see what's in my head by the time we reach... I hope you see what's in my head by the time we reach uh, the end. How Atheists Explain Religion and Why They're Right but not the way they think they're right. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. It's not the only argument used by atheists, but certainly one of the most commonly expressed is this, that religion is uh, a concoction. It's, it's an invention of the masses as a way of coping with um, the harshness, the, the brutalness, the loneliness of life in a random, chaotic, chance world. That w we don't like feeling like there's nobody home here. We don't like the idea that we live um, by blind chance and evolutionary force. Um, that's so cold and frightening. And so, like you give a baby a pacifier, we have come up with this idea of maybe some kind of a big brother, some kind of a supreme, someone to give us a hug and say, this is all going somewhere. This all means something. Don't worry, you're not alone. And so, whether it's called a crutch, whether, however the terminology you've heard, that's the idea we would have a hard time coping with the world as it really is, and so we, we pray, we pretend there's a God. Santa, God, you know, whatever, whatever helps you get by. Here are the words of Sigmund Freud in his book, The Future of an Illusion. He says this, There are the elements which seem to mock at all human control. The earth which quakes and is torn apart and buries all human life and its works. Water, of course we think of like the tsunami. Water which deluges and drowns everything in a turmoil, storms which blow everything before them. With these forces, nature rises up against us, majestic, cruel, and inexorable. She brings to our mind once more our weakness and our helplessness. And so, God, we, we need something. I don't mean to wear you out. Bertrand Russell, prominent atheist, gave the same explanation for religion in slightly different words in his book, Why I Am Not a Christian. Quote, Religion is based, I think, primarily and mainly upon fear. It is partly the terror of the unknown and partly, as I have said, the wish to feel that you have a kind of elder brother who will stand by you in all your troubles and disputes. Fear is the basis of the whole thing. Fear of the mysterious. 
fear of defeat, fear of death. So there's the argument, stated in dozens and dozens of books in scores of different ways. We don't know how to cope with this random, harsh, real world. We don't like feeling helpless. We don't like feeling there's nobody. We're on the bus, and we don't like the idea that there's nobody behind the wheel up there. And so we create this idea of God, someone who cares. Maybe he even hears our prayers. We need to cope. Religion is how we do it. And then usually, this gets fed into the computer and and out comes the theory of how these primitive religious feelings and these myths evolve. They morph from their primitive form of naming stars and fires and winds and sort of treating them as actual personalities. They grow from that, evolve into more developed religions, maybe with all sorts of different gods, deities, working behind these natural uh, events and forces, and then finally reaching the highest evolutionary form of religion, the belief in maybe one personal god, Maybe one who created, one who controls the material realm around us. And there's your history of that's how religion works. Starts with these fears. Man comes out of his cave and he looks up there and the moon becomes a god and fire becomes a god and thunder becomes a god and darkness becomes evil and... and, and then he morphs from that into, you know, centuries pass... Millennia passes, and now we have actual beings that work behind the scenes. So there's different gods controlling all sorts of things. And then eventually that seems primitive, and we kind of move on into one supreme god who's a creator. And that's why we're here, they would say, and that's how this got to where it is. I want to look carefully at the thinking behind this very, very common argument used by by atheists. And what I want to say before the evening's done is I think they inadvertently, because they surely don't mean to, they give endorsement to the actual biblical account of religion in general in Romans chapter 1. Because much of what I just said, not all of it, much of what I said is exactly what Paul says in Romans 1 regarding pagan religion. But it doesn't come into being quite the way the atheist says. That's why I said in the title, they have it right, but not the way they think. But before that, I want to do one other thing. Just in case you find this troubling, those statements I read just two prominent ones because everybody knows Freud and Russell or at least most people have heard of them. I just want you to remember and to note carefully because it's very tricky the way they do this. Those statements and hundreds like them, they have nothing whatsoever to do with whether or not God exists. I mean, they don't engage the issue of whether there is a God or not. See, the whole approach of all such arguing is kind of skewed from the beginning. 
the argument simply assumes there's no God and then proceeds to explain the origin of religion. That's what the argument's about. The argument simply says, if there is no God, then this is how religion came to be, which is fine and fun as far as mental, mental gymnastics go, but has nothing to do with proving whether or not there is a God. You just assume that to start with. There is no God, therefore, here's how religion came to be. But you haven't proven your first step that there is no God. Clearly, the idea that mankind has invented religion out of a desire for God only carries weight if there, if there were some universal law in existence that anything people desire cannot exist. As far as I know, there is no such law. And every time you think of cheesecake, you prove it. Here's where I want to go tonight. I want to investigate what these atheists actually do say about where religion comes from. Because a sense exists in which they're totally and obviously mistaken. And there's another sense in which they speak more truth than they know. That's what we're doing now. Okay? All right. One. The desperation of atheism is revealed in the contradictory arguments used to ban God. Now, I don't mean to wear this out, but think back to last Sunday's teaching. And I'm thinking now about those prominent bus and taxi signs. Do you remember we talked about it? Sponsored by the Humanist Society and Richard Dawkins and other supporters in 2009. Signs all over London that read... There's probably no God. So stop worrying and enjoy life. The argument put forward by those atheists. Now I'm confused. Because on those bus signs in 2009, God is the troublemaker. He is the one causing the worry. He is the one removing comfort and joy from life. He is the one, if those signs on those buses have any meaning at all, he is the one who is the source of worry in people's experience. That's made abundantly clear if words mean anything because the admonition is stop worrying because God probably doesn't exist. So God is the source of worry. Stop worrying. There's no judge. You're off the hook. Nobody's peeking around the corner to see what you're doing. Enjoy your life. Stop worrying. There probably is no God. Now, enter Sigmund Freud and Bertrand Russell, and the picture changes. Here are atheists, the same atheists, same kind of thinkers, and and they're saying, this is a troubled world. There are things we fear. There are things we worry about, and we need comfort. So what do we do? Oh, if only there was a God to take the sting out of life, to supply peace. So we invent God, and this invented God, he eases 
the worry and the fear and the stress. And any reasonable person is going to look at these four atheists and he's going to say, well, well, make up your mind. Forget that I'm a Christian for a moment, but at least make up your mind. Which is it? Is God the source of worry or is he the soother of worry? In one atheist claim, God causes the worry. People fear judgment and sin and wrath. Forget about God. You'll enjoy life more. The other atheist says the universe is a hard and difficult place. So invent God and it kind of takes the sting out of life. And, and one's left with the impression that you can pick any side you want just so long as you send God packing. The facts aren't the important part. Just get God out of the picture. Any argument will do. And the reason this matters is is the very nature of these arguments. It reveals the truth from last Sunday night's teaching that sin affects cognition, the reasoning process, the thinking process. The desperate and contradictory nature of these different arguments, what it does do is it reveals, it reveals a prejudice. The Bible calls it blindness. It calls it suppressing the truth. A prejudice that, that hijacks even very brilliant minds. These are educated men. So the big point here is simple, but profoundly simple. These arguments are not a threat to God's word... They are an endorsement of what God says people will do when they don't want to admit his presence. It's exactly the kind of thinking that the Bible says, here's what you're going to see. That leads into point number two. Freud and Russell are absolutely right in one aspect of their analysis of the origin of religion. Now into the word. Romans 1, 21 to 23. Is that in your notes? Let's read it out loud, okay? I just, it comforts me to know that you're awake. Let's read it out loud together. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God For images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul is talking about the invention of religion. Right? And it's close to what Sigmund Freud and Bertrand Russell imagined. Close but different. Truly, mankind does invent religion to escape what he finds fearful and discomforting. He invents religion to escape what he finds fearful and discomforting. No argument with the atheists on that point. But what mankind fears isn't nature, according to Romans 1. What he fears is his creator in Romans 1. And so what he does is, 
The key word is exchange. Exchange the glory of God. Swap. Replace. Get the biblical God out of the picture. Religion exists. The deepest misunderstanding in the world today is that religion exists because people are trying to find God. Only the Bible will tell you. Religion exists because people are trying to escape from God. And they create all sorts of gods. Freud is right on that point. He'll worship anything, but it's stuff strikingly like the creature. Worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, Paul says. And so the gods, the gods that we create, if we don't go to Revelation and the God of the Bible, the gods that we create, look what people will worship. You don't have to even go to idols and look, look what people worship. When, when, you see, when you see concerts and you see the idols that people make of celebrities and stars, people that don't know how to dress, that have their underwear outside their clothes, that, that you know, that, and, they, and, 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 and we idolize these people. So what man fears when he invents all sorts of religions, all sorts of objects of worship, what he fears isn't nature, it's not storms. What he fears is his creator. Paul is, has talked about the fear that man has, Romans 1, 18 to 20, for, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. The last message in this series will be in Sunday morning, not Sunday night. I want, I want just the whole church to hear the last message in this series, so we'll swap those around. And this will be the text. One that will relate it to sexual morality. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Not just revealed, perceived. Ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are, they are without excuse. Who's the they? These people that say, no, 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 we're, we're, we don't want that God. We will invent other gods. We will create our own worship. Thank you very much. Not this God whose wrath is revealed against my ungodliness. Not that one. I don't want him. So they, they push it down. Suppress the truth. These atheists, verse 20, are without excuse. Oh, if only they had an excuse for their rejection of God, they would be fine. But, but they have no excuse. And that leaves these vulnerable God-rejectors only one option. They do exactly what Freud says. They do exactly what Bertrand Russell says. They invent their own religions, all sorts of religions. 
Anything will do to help them hide from the true God. Here is the history of religious invention. 22 and 23. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He could make a huge list. Anything. Not God. I can't face him. What needs to be said is this is the exact opposite. Here's what I want you to see. It's the exact, it's the same process, but in the exact opposite direction. The, the atheists, Freud, Russell, others, the, here's what they're saying. So there are these primitive events in the world, we can't explain them, so we start naming these things as gods, and then we assign deities to them, and then just maybe fewer gods, and finally a creator. There's the evolution of religion. And Paul says there, there is a process, but it's not evolution, it's devolution. God reveals the one true creator. They see his glory, his majesty, his might. He's put conscience. He's put, in the, he's put the law, Paul says, right on the hearts of people. They know there's a moral being behind this universe. They can see his greatness and power. They don't want that. So it starts with knowledge and ends up in darkness. The process is the exact opposite of what these atheists argue. It's not account of the evolution of religion rising from primitive nature religions to more involved religion with one almighty creator. It's the opposite case. Romans 1. Romans 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. There are great ones in the New Testament. Romans 1 is the history of the world in a chapter. Christians should almost have it memorized. Romans 1. The history of the world in a chapter. The devolution from the true worship of God to desperate human attempts to avoid him. That's what is insisted on in Romans 1.23. At the heart of mankind's rebellion is more than ignorance. Ignorance would leave us with an excuse. Oh, we didn't. We didn't know. It's not ignorance. It's a willing choice of exchange and exchanged, 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. I'm, I am more comfortable with this. So God rejectors trade the truth of God away. Freud is wrong. Listen, every idol stands... Every idol stands not as some tribute to religious passion for God, but every idol stands as a monument to the flight of man from his creator. That's totally different. You still with me? Point number three. Let me kind of tie this up this way. There is a kind of God people invent and there is a kind of God that must be revealed. How many have read uh, Sheldon Van Aken's A Severe Mercy? Anybody? 
I'm looking for hands all over the place. What a great book. It's, it's been around for ages now. The, the process of Sheldon Vanocken's conversion from atheism to Christianity and C.S. Lewis played a part in his conversion. On December 14, 1950, C.S. Lewis wrote a letter to the then non-Christian Sheldon Vanocken. Vanocken, whose wife had just begun reading some of Lewis's books... And she was just starting to think about Christianity. And she talked with her husband Sheldon, and gradually he started to become interested and wanted to embrace it, but he had this concern. He had this concern that he wasn't embracing Christianity just because of some, like Freud said, some kind of inner wish fulfillment that it be true. And C.S. Lewis wrote him a letter to try and help him overcome this. Here's here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, my position at the threshold of Christianity was exactly the opposite of yours. You wish it were true. I strongly hoped it was not. What I think you can say with certainty is this. The notion that everyone would like Christianity to be true... And that therefore all atheists are these brave men who have accepted the defeat of all their deepest desires is simply nonsense. Do you think people like Stalin, Hitler, Haldane would be pleased on waking up one morning to find that they were not their own masters? That they had a master and judge? That there was nothing even in the deepest recesses of their private thoughts about which they could say to him, keep out, private, this is my business? No, their first reaction would be, as mine was, if Christianity is true, rage and terror. And I doubt very much whether even you would find it simply pleasant. So let's wash out all of this wish business. It never helped anyone to solve any problem yet. Lewis said there were times when he was an atheist, and I love the way he words this, read surprised by joy, the story of his conversion. And he says there were times he understands that there are Christians who have doubts. He said, I know that because there are also times when I was an atheist when God seemed dreadfully real. Dreadfully real. Lewis is only confirming what the Bible has always taught Romans 1, 22, 23, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We create gods somewhat like us, resembling mortal man. And and we do it. We do it to hide from the true God who has revealed himself to us and left us without, without excuse. So where where you take this? It's not the kind of sermon like you, you do an altar call or something, but but what I want is this a group of people raised up and and when someone comes and thinks they have a slick argument that here's here's where religion comes from, you'll be able to say, 
you're close. You're close. But here's where religion really comes from. People do create gods and idols and images, and they worship them. But they don't do it because they're trying to find God. They do it because they're trying to hide from the true God. Read Romans 1, tell your friend. It's all outlined there. The history of the world and the reality of religion and the devolution of it from the revelation of the true God into anything and everything that we can worship and ignore our Creator's claim on our lives. I think every Christian should know how to, you don't need my words, but how to put that in a box and say, there, here's what you're talking about and here's what the Bible says about it. Okay? Let's pray.